for the Boston Red Sox in 1914. So it's pretty early on. It wasn't professional baseball, but it was a first official That's match. really cool. Now, one of Taiwan's proudest moments in its baseball history was when uh, the Chinese Taipei team, that's Taiwan's team, won silver at the Olympics in Barcelona in 1992. Oh. And that was the first time that they uh, had baseball at the Olympics as an official sport. Wow, and we got a silver. That's great. That's right. all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? In Taiwan, there are several contenders for the title of Best Loved Native Animal. Many people will name the Formosan Black Bear or Formosan Sika Deer. Bird lovers might point to the Taiwan blue magpie or Mikado pheasant, but a few might also nominate a fish, the Formosan landlocked salmon. It may not look like much, but this fish is so remarkable that the first biologists to hear about it refused to believe that it could even exist. Most of all, this fish is remarkable for its tenacity. Over the last hundred years, humans have devastated the species, but it has hung on. And now, with human intervention, it has started coming back. For nearly 30 years, the recovery of this species has been a chief goal of Xueba National Park. And for 20 of these years, the park's Liaolin Yen has been working hard to achieve it. He's brought a kind of dedication to the task that you can only call admirable. Last year, he and his colleagues undertook the most recent population survey. This two-week job involved wading up and down 10 kilometers of stream and counting every last fish they could find. Mr. Liao joins us this week to introduce the Formosan landlocked salmon and what makes it so special. He'll also be talking about the species' decline and recovery, the results of his survey, and why counting fish one by one is not as crazy as it sounds. The Formosan landlocked salmon has lived in Taiwan since the last ice age, maybe for around 100,000 years. Back then, the waters around Taiwan were much more frigid than they are today. Scholars believe that the ancestors of these fish fled the cold and migrated to the warmer south, where they eventually reached the Dajia River in central Taiwan. But these fish are at least as sensitive to the heat as they are to the cold. So, as the Ice Age ended and Taiwan heated up, the fish retreated inland to the brisk waters of streams in Taiwan's mountainous interior. Here, it evolved into a uniquely Taiwanese species. The species is small, as salmon go, an adaptation to the small streams where it lives. These salmon never reach more than 40 centimeters long or 600 grams in weight. Usually, people think of salmon as a northerly species. If you've seen one outside of a fish market, it's probably been on TV, being grabbed by a brown bear in some corner of the Alaskan wilderness. 
But Taiwan straddles the tropics, and the Formosan landlocked salmon is the most southerly species of salmon in the world. Its mountain home is cool enough to tolerate, but the subtropical weather of lower altitudes is too hot to handle. This is where the landlocked part of its name comes in. Unlike its cousins elsewhere who migrate to the sea, the Formosan landlocked salmon stays put in the mountains. It spawns right in the streams where it lives. This lets it avoid the gruesome death that its migrating cousins face on their long journeys to reproduce. In fact, the Formosan landlocked salmon can live up to four years and reproduce more than once. Since spawning usually happens around October or November, park staff like to joke that all these salmon are Scorpios. Some of the big threats these fish face are natural. Each year, at least a few typhoons hammer Taiwan. When this happens, the streams surge and the mountainsides crumble. Many fish are crushed by cascading rocks or flushed violently downstream into warm waters where they can't survive. Droughts that lower stream levels are also a threat. For most of history, humans weren't much of a problem for the fish. The indigenous Atayal people, who share the salmon's mountain home, long caught them and ate them, but their fishing was sustainable, and the first outsiders to reach the area found to their amazement that there were plenty of these fish around. The first outsider to learn about this fish lived in the early 20th century, during the 50-year period when Japan ruled Taiwan as a colony. This was an assistant to the Japanese naturalist Oshima Masamitsu. This assistant heard about the salmon from the Atayal in 1917, and he managed to get and preserve a specimen. The world at large may not have noticed, but in the admittedly small world of fish experts, this fish caused a big stir. David Starr Jordan of Stanford, one of the leading fish experts of the day, apparently didn't believe the fish could be real. It came from too far south. Only an expedition deep into Taiwan's mountains could decide the matter. And it did. There was indeed a type of salmon living near the edge of the tropics. Then came the 1960s and 1970s. Roads were built leading into the mountains, forests were cut down, and the land put under cultivation for high-altitude crops like cabbage, tea, and cold-weather fruits. Regulations seemed to have been limited at best, and no guidance was given about the amount of pesticides that should be used. Dams were built too, penning the fish into increasingly narrow areas. This was an era of economic growth, as Taiwan moved from a poor agricultural land to a well-off industrialized one. Little thought could be spared for nature or the environment. Attitudes slowly changed. In 1992, Shueba National Park was set up to protect the mountains where the salmon live. The park had its work cut out for it, and there wasn't time to lose. By this point, there were only around 200 of the salmon left. Over several years, the park built up a program to breed the fish in captivity. That way, they could be released into the wild and repopulate their whole historic range. Having fish on hand would also mean that even if there was a bad typhoon, the species could still recover. But Mr. Liao says the building repurposed to house the project was just a run-down old house. Worse, it washed away itself in a 2004 typhoon, carrying away the program's equipment and 5,000 salmon with it. As the park worked to reclaim farmland and return it to forest, it had to fight tooth and nail with landholders. But decades of work and a new breeding center have begun to turn the tide. 
To be sure, the progress is modest. The park has knocked down around five local dams, but there are still more than a dozen around. Meanwhile, the 8.1 hectares of requisitioned farmland the park has turned back into forest is only one one-thousandth of the total farmland that's been cleared in the area. Still, the population has responded, and it's growing. Starting last year, Mr. Liao and his colleagues were put in charge of the count. He says many people don't believe that they really stood there and counted all the fish one by one, but that's exactly what they did. It would have been easy, of course, to just count the fish in a small area and fill in the rest of the picture with a projection. But with this species, that just doesn't work. The results this would yield would be way off the mark. The reason is that while the fish don't migrate exactly, they do move to different parts of the stream at different stages of their life cycle. You have to count everything. And in any case, counting by sight isn't as hard as it sounds. Mr. Liao says that along the streams where this fish lives, you can see for about 20 meters in either direction. That's a line of sight good enough to cover a large area at once. Some people might object that the fish might hide, or that the team might count the same fish more than once. But Mr. Liao says that's not very likely. These salmon swim quite slowly, and they tend to stay in one place for a long time. The results of the latest survey are encouraging. Mr. Liao and his colleagues counted 10,532 Formosan landlocked salmon. The successful reintroduction of fish bred in captivity means that they now live in four streams. To be clear, Mr. Liao says that no one really believes their number is the exact total really out there, but the general picture the survey gives is important. This is the first time in recent decades that the population has broken 10,000. And there's more good news. The park is nearing its ultimate goal of restoring the fish to its full historical range. There are two more streams where the fish needs to be introduced successfully for this to be achieved. Mr. Liao says the park has no solid target in terms of numbers. He says that while a population of around 20,000 spread across five streams would mean the species is in less danger of extinction, the park knows that every stream has a different number of fish that it can support. Its goal instead is to get each stream's population as high as is sustainable. After all, the park is only helping to make the conditions right for recovery. It's trusting in nature to do the rest. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Stroke of Light, a portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. Hello, and welcome back to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. Last week, we began our coverage of a new installation art display currently on view at the Taipei Fine Arts Museum. The artwork on display at the exhibition can be best described as 
a series of grotesque figures that fuse the mechanical and organic elements. These include a figurehead that, looking from straight up front, resembles an ogre straight out of an alien or an ET movie. Looking from behind it, though, and we see that there is no skin at the back of his head. This exposes the large circuit board with several wires sprawling across and connecting to other parts of his brain. Apart from a few figureheads, an animal figure is constructed in the same fashion as well. In this case, a black raven sits right at the top of a transparent box, and inside that box sits a circuit board with glistening wires running across. When we look a little bit closer, we can see that the underbelly of the raven is actually open, and the wires stick out of the box run straight into its body. The key to understand the artist's intention lies in this raven. The man behind these creations, Mr. Zhang Shouye, recorded an interview during the making process of its artwork, and in it. He says that the inspiration of his latest creation comes from a series of rejection letters. He said that he works hard to put a portfolio together and to apply for shows at various museums, art galleries, and exhibitions. But what he got in return was a large number of rejection letters, and that's not the worst part. Zhang says in the interview that he quickly realized that the wording in each and every rejection letter looks strikingly similar, if not identical, in many of the cases. It goes without saying that after putting in all the time and energy, and not to mention his heart and soul into so many applications, only to get rejection is frustrating. But getting rejection letters that are arguably not written by another human being, or at least not entirely written that way, makes Zhang feels a bit different. He didn't just feel rejected; he feels distant. This phenomenon brings Zhang's attention to something that has been happening for a very long time, in fact, for far longer than people normally realize. In this day and age, the technology industry is trying to implement AI or artificial intelligence into our day-to-day -day life in many, many different facets. More and more cars have driver's assist, where the vehicle would actually help the driver correct for on-road changes. Our email boxes automatically block spam emails, and our mobile phones, with their increasingly powerful chips. Can take care of errands such as making reservations at local restaurants or checking the weather. All in all, such technology saves time by automating smaller, simpler tasks that don't require high level of decision making. With all that in mind, Zhang still didn't expect the use of AI to bleed into communication, at least not this quickly. So when he received the rejection emails, he asked himself the question. How can he make a critique on the humans' growing reliance on AI-driven technology, and in return of efficiency, is it worth it to lose that all too important human touch? To answer that question, he didn't look to the future strangely. 
he looks back in time to a professor named Alexander von Humboldt. He's a German scientist and naturalist who studies the imminent changes that his peers then at the late 19th century was facing. Please tune in next week to find out what John's research revealed to him and how he arrived to create these unique figures that we have examined. For Stroke of Light, I'm Jake Chen. Talk to you then. together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast. This is Ellen Chu. This is Andrew Ryan. How are you, Ellen Chu? I'm good. Still trying to, you know, lift up my mood and, you know, try to bring some spirit to everyone. Yeah? How are you doing? You doing okay? Yeah, I'm you doing hang, okay. Hanging out okay? I'm hanging, hanging there. Hanging up? Hanging out? What, 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 how do we say that? <laughs> hanging there. Are you hanging are in you there? Hang okay? <laughs> are you hanging good? How's it hanging? <laughs> I know. How's it hanging? Okay. Yeah, you're doing okay, yeah? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I mean, work has been slowing down for me, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's more time for kids and, well, you know, doing a lot of cooking at home now. Mm, a lot of cooking a at home. A lot of cooking at home every night, mm. cooking our home meal for my kids. We should mention that even though Taiwan is doing pretty well, like containing the virus, there are mm-hmm. still many, many concerns here. Uh, a lot of people are at work, but a lot right. of people are also working from home. Right. Kids are in school, but like also some classes in Bushibans are doing like online stuff. Uh, yes, I think so. But the thing is that for now, you know, everybody's still, you know, doing their regular routine. It's just that everybody needs to wear a mask. Their temperature needs to be checked. And everything is like constantly being sanitized, sanitized, sanitized. That's right. And we got the order at RTI last week that we had to start wearing masks at work every day. And are we supposed to wear a mask right now? They said that we don't have to wear masks when we're in, like, when we need to take them off for our job so if we're recording then we can take them off or if we're eating we can take them off okay very hard to eat with a mask on (laughs) right and the thing is that you know for my kids school we have installed like you know the sanitized light tubes what is that they're uh they're actually like you know uh oh so like uv UV light tubes Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to be turned on like 40 minutes at night to sanitize the entire room. Oh, so all the classrooms have them? Yes. Oh. So we actually used our parent fund. 
Oh. And we donated like $600,000 to do that. $600,000. dollars mm-hmm. For you... all the classrooms. That's wonderful, Ellen yes. Chu. That's really That's good. That's a big project. You know, I think for the time being and also in future, we don't know what's going to be coming up. You know, there might be other bacterias and viruses. And I think this is something we... Uh, you know, it's for a good cause. So long term. Do any of the other schools do that in Taiwan? Or is this the first time this has been done? Um, I think public schools are uh, some of the public schools are installing this. Oh, really? But they do not do it like in one batch. Okay. Because it's very costly. So, so they do it maybe like, you know, three or four classrooms first for like the first segment. And then the second uh, part, you know, they do another five classroom. Wow. So it's like funding. How do you pick the classroom? Is it the good kids? No, for <laughs> us. You know, for us, we do it for all the classrooms. Right, no, but if you can't do it for all the classrooms, you have to choose. Right. Which and kids do you like best? <laughs> exactly, you know, or the parents who donated more money. Mm, my mm, goodness. My goodness. Well, for us, we also did like a sanitized box for the library. Oh, what is that? You put the books in there? Right. Oh. So every book that's returned will be, uh, there's like 12 books that could be sanitized for every page. That's uh, every page. How do they do every, every page? Every page. They, they hang it there and every page can be sanitized. That is With a special the library box. UV rays? It's UV light plus um, uh, oxygen 3, O3. Okay. Chou Yang. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea what that is. Right. So they use it at all the uh, major like public libraries. Really? Yes. That's fascinating. Yeah. So we donated that too. My poor mother could have used one of those on her bookmobile back in the 1990s. I know. But nowadays they have it. Do you know my mom used to get pink eye all the time because the really? kids like were wiping their faces and their books? See, this is the thing. Like, you know, if you have like, you know, bacteria, not just coronavirus, but just, you know, flu season. Yeah. Pink eye, mm. anything. You know, if the kid touched it and the second kid who reads it, Mm-mm. they're going to catch it. They're going to catch it. And, you know, they're they're wiping their nose, you know, when they're reading. Some people call it a book. Others call it a Petri dish. Right. <laughs> so I think, you know, that is one good thing that we donated to. That's fantastic. That's yeah. really, really interesting. You know, what I think is so amazing is during this time, obviously, there's so many things to be upset about and so many things that are really disturbing. But I think... It also is a period of time that really tests our resilience and our creativity and our ability to, you know, to really listen to each other and look at what we all need and but, work together on it. But look, creativity, speaking of that, you know, we are also thinking of installing, you know, little, little, you know, boards. Like dividers? Dividers around for the kids desks? around the, you know, dining tables oh, yeah. for kids. I've seen so, that, yeah. you know, for the ramen store that is famous... That they have the dividers. Ilan oh, it's called Ilan from Japan. Ramen. It's in the Xinying district. Oh. And they have dividers for individual people. But what if you're eating with somebody else? Too bad. I think they can open it up like across seats. Maybe they can have like like in the jail where they have a little intercom and you can speak to your relative. Right. So, you know, <laughs> before people might think it's weird because I want to, you know, talk to my friend. But, you know, for now... I don't want to talk to my friends. Exactly. It's okay. We can talk later. <laughs> um, all right. So why don't we go into our menu and uh, tell everybody what we're going to be doing in our show today. All righty. 
In our first course, we head out of the studio. Oh my, we're gonna have a field trip again. Field to... trip, but not very far. Okay, <laughs> to search for a very special edible wildflower right on RTI property. Are we gonna steal something? I don't think we're gonna steal anything. We're gonna just look at it. Just look at it? I think we'll just look at it. Okay. Yeah. You sure? You're I... not gonna like plug one. Well, why, why not? if you wanna eat it, then I'll let you steal it. How's no, that? No, <laughs> I don't want to eat it because I don't want to get caught on the camera and then, you know, receive like a phone call from the station and say, you know, you and Andrew just stole something from our property. Well, you never know. There might not even be any left. Maybe somebody already took them. Maybe. I saw them last night. I left the station at like 12 p.m. a.m. For what Francis said, you know, it's worth a lot of money, right? It is worth a lot of money. Okay. We're going to be telling you all about that in our second course. When we return to the studio, we're going to tell you what's so amazing about this tiny, tiny orchid. And in our third and final course, we'll tell you how it can be eaten. Eaten? Yes, it Are can be. Are we going to eat? Uh... That remains to be seen. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you have a diarrhea now, you're going to be tested for coronavirus. I saw that. If you have, uh, if you've come in contact with anybody with a travel history and you have diarrhea, then you get tested for COVID-19 immediately. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, no. So I don't have any contact with people who've been out. I, of I don't usually have diarrhea. I usually have constipation. Wow. Maybe it'll even out. <laughs> I know. We're not suggesting that anybody uh, use this as a remedy for constipation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. We're going to go into a song about orchids. It's called Tai Dong Xin Lan Hua Qing. All right. So it is uh, Tai Dong Heart and Orchid Romance. By okay. How would you translate it, Ellen Judy? It would be the heart of Taidong and the love of Orchid. You know, it's interesting. This it's almost written the same way American Beauty, the movie, is written. I know. In Chinese, I which is I think it's a knockoff. I think it is too. Yeah. You say it, uh, 美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国美国
first course. Okay, we're back on our first course, and what are we doing, Ellen Chu? Okay, we're gonna go hunt for this show towel. And we both have our face masks on because RTI now has a surgical mask policy, so if you're walking through a public area of the radio station and you're not yeah. recording, although we are recording. And I do promote mask for all, okay? Yes. Save the, the good ones for medical professionals, but if you can make a mask for yourself, you should wear it. That's right, and I think the reason that Taiwan has been, you know, doing so well is that we all wore masks in the very beginning, okay? So I don't know how, you know, how much evidence that we can say, but I think it did help. That's right, masks do help. So we are stepping out the front door of RTI. Where are we up? Are well, we in trouble? Uh, I hope I'm not. Take off my we mask. can take our masks off and outside. I'm going right? to stand in a social distance of one meter. Okay? <laughs> so don't point that thing at me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you going to talk in the microphone if you're not standing at a I'm meter's distance? I'm going to use my, you know, loud volume. Okay. okay? We're standing yeah. out in the parking lot. Can you hear? Oh! Francis is pointing. It's right here. Do we see it? Don't. Oh, it's right there. See, it's right out the front door of RTI. Oh my God, it's in a circle. So we have this little thing here. This is the Shoutsha, okay? It, it is an orchid family. Okay, we're not gonna hurt it. No flower has been hurt in the process <laughs> except for the one that you plucked. I did not pluck a flower, Alan <laughs> <Alan> Chu. <laughs> Don't sell me out. All right, over here. They're so cute. So look at these little flowers. We should describe it. It's about this, the yeah. height of a pencil. You should look at that one, okay? Don't step on the grass. And it looks like a dragon, you know, circling around the pole. It looks like a climbing dragon. Right. Can you describe the size and the shape? The size is about like a palm high, okay? It looks or like a pencil. It's, it's thinner than a pencil. Well, okay. thinner than a, it's like a chopstick. It's like a, well, yeah, a chopstick, I would say. A skinny chopstick. A skinny chopstick that is standing up, you know, high and strong. And, and in a, like circled in a spiral around the chopstick exactly, are little pink and look, purple flowers. They're all standing over here. Once you're in this angle, you can see all of them standing around. We are rich. We are rich. We are rich. Because I hear they're very, very expensive. Exactly. So how expensive they are, we'll tell you later, right? Yes, but for now, we want to just tell you they're little tiny pink and purple orchid-shaped flowers. Can you see the shape of the flower? It's kind of like a bell shape, a tiny bell shape. And they're lined up along the stem in a spiral, a single file spiral going up the stem of the flower. There's I probably know. about 20 of them or 30 of them on one little flower, right? You know, I feel that after today, it's going to be all gone because, you know, we are so obviously sitting here looking at these flowers and, you know, people in the station is going to look at us. What are they looking at? And once they find out, they are here. I wonder if anybody's looking at us right now. Look up at the windows. There's Do you guy. see anybody? There's a guy by the car. He's going he to swo swoop suspicious. in here. He is suspicious. He's going to get this flower. And people flower. You know, at the Grand Hotel is looking at us. Okay. These flowers are really pretty. You don't notice them unless you get really close to them, do you? I know, but you know, I really think that you know, this is really nice. Something in the nature and that can really you know, bring spring into us. 
And yeah, and you know what's really great is this only appears at this time of the year. It's not like it's here all the time. It's March only like a couple June. weeks. Yeah. March to June. March till June. Well, to tell you a little secret, they often um, cut the grass here, so they only stay oh, here for a couple weeks. Really? <laughs> so maybe we should pluck it before <laughs> they cut the grass. You could say you're saving them. Okay, you're saving, saving the flowers. Them. Well, you know, Francis is going to try to save one. Okay. Save the flower campaign. And maybe if she can, you know, uh, regrow the thing in there, mm -hmm. in her garden. Then she could um, she could become rich. Right. No, she could bring it to our show next year. Oh, I like that. Okay. She can make us a tea. Right. Tea for two. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. But I think that my, my favorite part about these flowers is that they're so small that you don't even notice them. If you just walk by here, you wouldn't have even seen right, it. Right, because, you know, at the first glance, I, th I only saw grass. And then once, you know, Francis pointed out one, now I am at the level of my view that I can see so many of them. We should say we're squatting on the lawn in front I of know. RTI. With a bad knee, it hurts, okay? All I'm right. gonna get off. Ugh. All right, well, why don't we head back into the studio? So we're just standing inside the radio station and Francis showed us that a picture I took of this is now on the wall of the radio station. I know, and there is a name that we did not mention in the show. It's called Southern Ladies Tresses. Why? It's like tresses is hair, like, right? The curly hair is hanging down. Oh, so maybe it's the twirl? The little spiral? I know. Okay, Southern Ladies Tresses. Okay. We didn't know that, but we know it now. So Southern Ladies? Do you feel it? <laughs> Does this look like your hair? That's the All question. Right. Second course. All righty, Ellen Chu. I'm glad we found those flowers. I know. You know, I got so many mosquito bites just walking out. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Okay. I was just so afraid they would all be gone by today. Like somebody would have like mowed the lawn or I don't know. I think somebody went there and took some. Took some. Uh, might have been me, but... <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I went out there last night just to make sure. I was like so afraid there were going to be some gone. So I did right. take one. All right. Just in case. But we're going to tell you all about these little tiny flowers. You ready? Yeah, I can't even read that letter. What is it called? It's a shoutzhao. Shoutzhao. And show apparently is like a ribbon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why they use the word ribbon is because it's the flowers are curled up like a ribbon. Okay, but other people also call it panlongcao. So that means it's like a dragon, you know. Climbing, climbing dragon? dragon around the pole and yuchen a dragon. Okay. Yes. So you want to, um, you, here, you can hold the flower while we're talking about it. <laughs> it's already, Thank you. It's, I can hold the flower that is kind of wilted. <laughs> well, sorry about that. Okay. So basically, um, this is a flower that's also called Qingming uh, Qingming okay. So it's like the Qingming Festival uh, grass. Maybe that's, it's a cure for coronavirus. What are you talking <laughs> <That's> about, Alju? <laughs> this is how fake news begins. I know. Uh, so Qingming <laughs> Festival is the tomb sweeping festival. And the reason why it's named after it is because this is the time of the year when the flower appears. Have you smelled this flower? I have not smelled the flower, Ellen Chu. It smells like Megan Tsai. <laughs> what? She says it smells like um, 
pickled mustard greens. Yeah, or you know, you know those uh, cao sun. Mm-hmm. It has that smell. Smell it. Oh my goodness. Do you have a strand? No. Smell it. Does it? <laughs> it smells like grass. Is what it smells like. <laughs> it doesn't smell like grass. Oh, it smells very grassy. Okay. So in Latin, it's called Speranthus sinensis or Chinese Speranthus. Okay. And it grows where? Japan, Korea, Russia, China, Taiwan. They like sunny, grassy areas. So, is it sunny out there? It you, well, not right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the color of the flower, it's kind of cute. It's purplish and a little bit tint of pink color. And the way the flower is arranged, because these are teeny tiny flowers, they're they're less than six millimeters across. Oh! And the flowers are arranged in a helix shape up the stem or mm. up the spike of the plant. Yes. So it's like a spiral. They're arranged in a single file line in a spiral wow. up the stem. And the flowers grow in this shape and short-lived perennial plant, okay? So Mm -hmm. they don't live very long and grow single or in clumps Mm -hmm. and can form colonies of 1,000s of plants. Oh, my goodness. goodness. So did you see 1,000? I didn't see 1,000. I didn't count them, but I'm going to say there's probably about several hundred. Okay. Not thousands. Mm -hmm. I didn't see 1,000. Maybe less than 100. Maybe if you add up all the little purple flowers on it, then it's a 1,000. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Each one of these stalks has like, I don't know how many flowers does it have on there? Like Like 20? 20, 30? Yeah. Teeny tiny flowers. Mm -hmm. And they grow very fast. Between March and June, they can grow up to 15 to 40 centimeters long. Okay. And they have benefited from human activities, clearing a forest and creation of grassy areas where it thrives. Yeah. So even though we don't like cutting down trees, when you do cut down trees and you leave grassy areas, then these Mm. pop up all over the place. So, is this the world's smallest orchid? No. No, we looked into it. I thought it might be because it's so So, small. It's not in the orchid family, okay? This orchid species is so small that if you play... So, it is an orchid. It is an orchid. Oh. But it's not the smallest orchid. Okay. It's the... The smallest orchid is the Platystele jungermanioides. Oh, my goodness. Sorry about my Latin. Noides. When measured, this orchid stands at an incredible half a centimeter tall, and its flowers, believe it or not, are only half a millimeter in width. Can you believe that? And so they're actually so small that in order to see them, you have to use a magnifying glass, Mm. and the flowers are translucent green in color with a purple lip. Mm -hmm. Mm. And this orchid was discovered in 1912. It lives wildly in the lower cloud forest of Mexico. That's right. Guatemala, Costa Rica, and Panama. Mm, And they found it accidentally by an expert orchid hunter, Lou Jost. The funny thing is this uh, orchid was found not in the wild, but in his greenhouse below a larger plant that he had collected. Wow. That's kind of nuts, Ellen Chu. It, it is, okay? So, you know, this is interesting. But what I think is really interesting about this flower that we have here is if you didn't look closely, you wouldn't even see the flowers. No. I it's, mean, they're so it's small. It's pretty tiny, but you see like little dots on it, red dots on it. Little pinky. Right. It's kind of cute, you know. It is cute. Yeah. If you look super close at it. Right. When we come back in just a moment, we're going to tell you how expensive it is and how much 
people use it for different things. Oh my goodness. Oh okay. my goodness. Let's go and into a music. Then. Okay, let's play some music. When we come back in just a moment, we're going to tell you about how people are eating it and how much this expensive flower costs. Ooh. But first, here's a song by Winging called Qingming de Yue or The Month of Qingming Festival. This flower does what, okay? And how expensive it is. What 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 flower is it again? Do you want to just tell us one more time what this flower is for okay. people who are just joining us? This flower is actually called, well, Sparantisinensis. Yes, Chinese Sparantis, okay? And it's on Chinese is called Shoutshao, okay. or the ribbon flower, or the climbing dragon. Let's, let's call it the ribbon flower. The ribbon flower. I like it. It's like mm-hmm. a little ribbon. Right. Of flowers. So what does it do? Why does it cost so ex- so much? How much does it cost? It costs one kilogram. It's worth about $1,500. That's Taiwan dollars. So mm-hmm. it's about $50 US for a kilo. Wow. wow. Holy cow. So the thing is that people say it actually, uh, it is good for your, you know, muscles and and your bones, and in also your kidney. Kidneys as well. Uh-huh. So this is actually used in Chinese medicine. Uh, and what people do is they will boil it, or they mm-hmm. make a tea out of it, uh, or they put it in rice wine and then consume it that way. That sounds like drinking alcohol. <laughs> I know. And the thing is that, you know, this is supposed to, you know, it's kind of like yao jiu. It's yeah. like the medicated, you know, Medicinal alcohol. Right. I love those yaojo because I think it's sort of like a good excuse to get some alcohol. You're like, oh, it's good for me, right? I think so because I know a lot of like my friends, they go to drink these, um, you know, Chinese herbal medicine soup. Oh, yeah. Wait, do those soups have alcohol in them? Yes. Really? I went there once like 15 years ago. Uh Uh-huh. Man. Wait, where did you go? To to this place to drink the soup. Uh Uh-huh. And they, my, these friends of mine go every week. Oh, okay. They don't it's, drive, do they? They don't drive. But I was drunk, and then I had this, I had this, you know, hangover for three days. Oh, this is how strong it is. But did it do anything good for you? I don't know. I never wanted to go back again. And all my friends are like, "Oh, that's because you know your your immune system is really low." No, that means your tolerance is low. That doesn't mean you're right. It means they, your they, body is working properly. They said that you know my there's something wrong with my body. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with my body. <laughs> you said there's something wrong with your brain. Right. <laughs> well, you know, there's another saying that. Uh, 
you know, people use this for meningitis. Oh, really? Right. Oh. I don't know about that. We're okay. not doctors. We are not Chinese practitioners of Chinese medicine. So we are not going to suggest using this for anything. You should talk to your doctor, actually. Mm -hmm. And they have this roots, okay? I see it down here. That's this little... little baby roots, but this one in his hand is huge. I think I might have broken the root when I pulled it out of the ground. Okay. Is that a complete root there? No, it's not uh, a complete root. Is it broken? Root. It's a broken one, okay? okay? But it says that, you know, this root, you can actually eat it directly. You want to take a bite, Ellen Chu? No. <laughs> it looks like a little tiny white turnip. Right. Doesn't it? Or ginseng. Or like ginseng. Yeah, ginseng, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So uh, we are, uh, I think both of us are going to opt out of sampling this today. Right. Um, however, we Because, will... you know, this is not like, you know, tested or this is not like really written anywhere saying that this had this, all these good effect. Well, you know what? Also, I want to say this too. Like if I went to a Chinese medicine shop and I bought it or like an herb st store, I would mm -hmm. feel much more comfortable eating it. Me too. Because, you know, some of the plant world, they look alike. But it's not exactly the same <laughs> origin, you know? I'm pretty sure it's the same one. I think my bigger concern is we don't know what they're spraying on the RTI lawn. Oh. <laughs> and you made me touch it. I made you touch it. You can wash your hands. You okay. wash your hands like every day. Okay. I mean, like every hour. <laughs> Maybe like every 30 minutes. Okay. Oh, it's a beautiful time, isn't it? I know. People are getting, you know, very hygiene. Yes, very hygienic. Okay. We have a very sanitized program for you. Right. Yes. So sanitized, we're not even going to be eating something in our show. This is like the first time we haven't eaten anything. We're eating air. <laughs> you actually, you know, the last time we didn't eat something in our show was World Animal Day. Oh. Right? Santa Claus? <laughs> what? Do we do we eat anything on, you know, when Santa Claus came? Yes. We always have cookies or something. Oh, Santa okay. Claus is very good to us. Okay. Yes. All You're right. welcome. <laughs> All right. So we have our address that we'd like to share, P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, mm -hmm. and email us at androo at rti.org.tw. And... If you happen to see that in your garden or around where you live, there mm -hmm. is this kind of plant. Yes, called can, Speranthus sinensis. Right. Send a photo to us, you know. Send a photo to us. Or you could sample us and tell, uh, sample it and tell us how what you think. Why are you telling other people to sample it when we're not sampling it? I'm not going to be the, like... The lab rat. Okay. <laughs> and and you guys are? No. Okay. Well, I mean this is it's on you. If you right. if maybe you do that. it's in your garden and you know what you sprayed and what didn't you spray. Okay? Yes. That's then you right. Can try it. Yes. Again, okay. this is on you, not it's on, on us. You. Okay, cool. <laughs> on your tab. That's right. All right. All right. So next week on uh, the feast, join us. We're gonna be uh, baking some things. I, I like to call it baking therapy. Okay. You know, during these stressful times, a lot of people are turning to baking as a way to relieve stress. Uh, oh. And I am going to be making some chocolate chip muffins mm. that contain a very unusual ingredient, Ellen Cho. Well, you know, when I hear chocolate chip muffin, I'm very happy. But a very unusual ingredient, I would kind of halt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Stop you in your footsteps there. Mm -hmm. Stop you in your tracks. Right. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. Okay. Uh, one final song today. This is called what? Xinlanhuacao, the new orchid grass. This is by Zhao Wei. All right. For Feast Feast Host, I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. See you next week. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. 